0: Welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Andrew Wilkinson about legacy giving and specifically how charities can help to ensure that conflicts with wills do not arise. We speak about the types of challenges to wills that are faced by charities and get to understand more about the necessity of wills, both from the perspective of the charities the legacy gifts support and the wishes. Those who support them and leave gifts to charities in their wills. Of course, this episode will speak about death, but more than that, it will seek to understand a little more about the lives of our supporters and the world they wish for the future. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So, without further ado, here is Andrew Wilkinson speaking with me about conflict free. Legacy giving. I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Wilkinson, partner at Shakespeare Martineau. Hello Andrew, welcome to Charity Chat.
1: Hi, Sam. How are you doing?
0: Very well, thank you. So we're talking today about ensuring that let your legacy supports your favourite charities and I suppose my first question Andrew is is what is your background and how are you involved with the charity sector?
1: I uh, started my uh, legal career as a commercial litigator so dealing with disputes on behalf of companies. The recession hit in 2008 and that work dried up overnight and I was looking for something that was more interesting and more challenging and I, I came to contentious probate so essentially dealing with disputes around wills and estates. Um, and that was an area that sort of has continued to grow. And really then as part of that, we've we've grown um, successfully the, the legacy practice. So the work we do for charities around legacies, and that's both in terms of administering estates, so administering estates where charities are beneficiaries, mm. um, but also dealing with disputes where charities are involved. So either where um, claims have been brought against estates, where charities are beneficiaries, or just where there are other issues that have arisen in the context of a will or an estate that where charities need help um, and those issues can be can be wide-ranging so so we act for a variety of national charities um large and small and dealing with all sorts of um, weird and wonderful problems um, that they um that they come across in their day-to-day um practice really
0: working with so many charities as you currently do are, are you on a kind of a personal and professional level do you get a an increased sense of how those kind of funds are are going to be spent and the the good work that 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 kind of money can do or or is that kind of kept separate from what your your kind of day-to-day?
1: No, no, well absolutely and uh, look it's the one that one of the reasons I enjoy acting for charity so much is because you do actually see the kind of the, the the where the money ultimately goes you know you can go and see a client and you can go and see the new kennels that they've built or you know whatever it is. So, you know, there is that direct connection between what you're doing in terms of you know legacies and protecting legacies, et cetera, with actually seeing, you know, where the money goes. So, you know, that's why I enjoy acting for charity so much, because you see, you do see that kind of direct connection and you do see, you know, the benefits of the work that you're doing. So, you know, a personal point of view, I find that incredibly satisfying.
0: are there common themes to these problems in terms of is is it largely that the, the people that have made the will haven't done that in the the right way or is it is it just because of the nature of leaving a will i mean i've i'm just i'm just in the process of making my will my first will actually and i guess if i'm honest it hadn't really occurred to me until i started talking to you and and others like you on, on the podcast that you know i suddenly thought actually i should have a will i've got a, a child and things and uh, I, I'd imagine that my making my will would be quite easy. We've only got one child, but I guess with, with some of these people's lives are quite difficult in some ways, are they?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's certainly, you know, uh, you know as said, the charity cases that we deal with, you know, they're all, you know, wide ranging cases, but often it's, um, you know, it's, it's disgruntled family members. So it's family, you know, it's family members and it can be children or it can be other relatives who are, who are annoyed that they've been cut out of a will. And, and um a lot of it is because they'd expect you know they they were they either understood correctly or wrongly or not that they they were they were going to inherit and they've perhaps made plans or not done you know not made retirement provision or whatever pensions etc in the expectation of inheriting from the estate and then of course obviously when they don't inherit then you know they want to they, they want to have a fight about it really so um it's those sort of disgruntled family members that that i think form probably a, a large number of claims involving charities against estates and essentially where they're saying that the will should have made provision for me, but, but didn't. Um, and linked to that as well is, is challenges around capacity. So that's essentially where the family are saying, well, look, you might have made a will in favour of Bassy Dogs Home or whatever it is. But it wasn't valid because you were suffering from dementia, or you know, you didn't you didn't fully understand what the will was at the time. So, we're seeing more and more of those types of claims at the moment. And I think, of course, with COVID, I think there's a there's a real chance that we'll see more and more of those claims where people might be saying, well, because of the effects of COVID, that that you know that might have influenced you know that might have had an impact on someone's ability to make a will at the at the relevant time, really.
0: So everyone listening to this podcast will have been affected by the pandemic. We're recording this in uh, March 2021, so we don't know where we are in the pandemic, but we're still in it. We've seen many charities closing their doors or reducing their staff, and many have been furloughed or had their working hours reduced. Um, At the same time, there are a vast number of charities who have seen more demand for their services in the wake of the social and economic upheavals that we've all witnessed over the last year. How has COVID-19 and the pandemic affected the world of legacy giving?
1: I think it would be fair to say it's been it's been an absolute roller coaster. I think, for for most legacy teams. And um, I think the beginning, I think like most people, you know, a lot of them were getting used to just remote working and the challenges of that. And um, that, of course, had an impact on legacies insofar as it it meant that um Legacy cases were just big. Were slowing down very, very quickly, and that was because delays with the probate system and delays with HMRC, delays with banks, because essentially everyone was trying to adjust very quickly to working remotely, and inevitably that has an impact on on the progression of um, the administration of estates. So there was a real slowdown at the beginning. And um, I think then again, and it, a lot of this varies from charity to charity. I think you know some charities have had very different experiences. I think a lot of charity teams, legacy teams have had real pressure because often um, other sources of income that charities have, have dried up. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so therefore, you know, there is, there is big pressure on legacies to sort of keep the lights on really, you know, to, to make, you know, it's, it's for most charities where they're getting a kind of regular legacy income, it's fairly steady. But obviously, when charities are under pressure, you know, getting the money in the door, getting the cash in is really important. So I think that was sort of the, the immediate effect was the, there was a real slowdown, you know, notifications. So most charities will subscribe to a service that essentially notifies them as to when a, a will is when there's a grant of probate yeah. of a will under which they're left a legacy. So those notifications, I think most a lot of those, you know, there was a there was a drop in those. And So, I think then over the summer, then it was, you know, I think a lot of charities, it was, it, it sort of quietened down. There was initial rush, there was initial pressure to kind of get the money in and kind of really push on and try and get distribution, so money out of estates. I think then it sort of quietened down a bit um, as everyone kind of got used to the new working arrangements. And then I think really most charities towards the end of last year and then beginning of this year have seen a real, you know, a real upsurge in terms of work. You know, they've seen, they were obviously impacted last summer and, and, and earlier than that by the property market, you know, most estates of any size will have a residential property in them. So inevitably when the market slows down or stops, which was essentially what happened last spring, that immediately has an impact on legacies. Right. So that, you know, that, that that's had, that's been a factor, but I think most, I think most legacy officers who I speak to now are really, really busy. Notifications are up and legacy administrations are, are, you know, the administration, estates is really are really pushing through quickly. And I think, you know, they're starting to now see, very sadly, people who died as a result of Covid, but where they're, they're getting legacies, you know, from people who've died as a result of the pandemic. So, mm. um, and I think most legacy teams are projecting an, an, an upturn in terms of legacy income as a result of that, really.
0: With a lot of the work that charities are doing obviously you've got your kind of unrestricted annual restricted funding and it, it can be a kind of a, a difficult thing to have too much restricted funding obviously because you know you've still got to pay the bills and pay the staff and they're not often the things that that um, funders are willing to restrict funding for so is mm. legacy giving, do you see legacy giving coming in? Is it restricted funding for charities or is it largely unrestricted?
1: I think a lot of it depends on who the charity is. I think for most, you know, we we act for quite a lot of animal charities and they don't generally see that many restricted gifts, restricted funds. Mm. However, um, our firm have got a, a very strong education team and we act for a number of universities and we see far more restricted funds for universities. So when money is left to universities, but it's specifically for a particular research project, a particular you know building or a particular, that they want it to be spent on a particular thing. Mm. So I think it really depends from sector to sector. I think some sectors will see more restricted funds than others. And others you will see very few restricted funds i think i think it really depends on from organization to organization
0: i wonder if there would be a correlation there with it would be a guess for me but whether the you know i suppose things like that where it's a there's a longer term project i suppose it might make sense into in the legator's mind that they would restrict funding for that knowing that this is a part of a, the charity that's probably going to be going for 10, 20 30 40 years
1: yeah oft, often i think it's where there's that sort of personal connection with the universities for example you know often the reason they the, the there's a restrictive fund is you know and i've had you know one recently where numbers of members of the family were suffering from a particular medical condition mm. and they wanted then the money to be spent on research by this university on this particular illness so i think often there's those sorts of personal connections where the person the person involved has got a very close connection had a personal connection during their lifetime with the charity and then because they understand the charity and what it does they have a clear idea as to where exactly within that organisation they want the funds to be targeted. I think where it's done at kind of more arm's length so it's just you know it's, it's charities that you see on the telly or whatever then I think often those gifts tend to be Unrestricted, and of course, from as you say, from a charity's point of view, they don't like restricted funds. You know, I see situations quite frequently where you get restricted funds, but the purpose, you know, the restriction in there has long since gone. You know, it was in, it was left for a particular research project, but basically, that you know, the research has moved on, and they were doing something completely different. So you get into difficult situations where you've got restricted funds, but you can't really do anything with them, which makes things difficult.
0: And is is that part of your role to advise your clients on, on whether or not to restrict their funds? Or is that really up to them? Do you have a say in, in or influence? It? Well,
1: certainly, yeah, certainly we would advise clients on whether a fund is restricted or not. Mm. So often you'll see someone might express a wish as to how funds are to be spent. but it, But the question is whether it's legally binding or not. So we'll often advise on that. So whether whether there is a restriction in place or not, um, and then obviously if if there is a restriction in place, then we can advise us to possible options if if it's not possible for to for those funds to be used for that particular purpose.
0: Regular listeners of the podcast will have heard me um, bring up this example before. Uh, I've, I've heard a cautionary tale a few years ago around uh, an elderly lady, a, a supporter of a charity who wanted to make a will and contacted that charity and then asked if somebody would go with her to make her will as kind of moral support, I suppose. And then they, they, uh, the charity dutifully uh, kind of went along with that and fundraiser went with a lady and made the will. A few years later, the lady sadly passed away. And then the family of that lady contested the will because they said that um, the charity would went with her and kind of pushed her into choosing the charity as a beneficiary. Mm. What can charities do to help ensure that their supporters are able to leave gifts in their wills without worrying about conflict between their families and the charities when they passed away?
1: Well, I, I, think, I think you've given a perfect example there of something that charities just shouldn't be doing. You know the the fundraising code is very clear that charities should not be providing legal advice and certainly you know they shouldn't be they should be staying as well out of the will process as they can mm-hmm. um and you know the best advice is always tell your you know if someone wants if, if if someone wants to make a donation to your charity take independent advice go and see their own lawyers you know go and see their own representatives and really yeah. And of course, the cha- and a lot of charities, of course, will offer, you know, the free will schemes, et cetera, et cetera. But crucially, of course, the charities aren't involved in the process at all. So I think keeping out of the process, I think, is important. You know, I think particularly with you know, COVID, I think we will see more and more of these sorts of claims. We know that, you know, when, when people are in financially difficult times, that that does lead to more claims um so you know we are expecting and most charities are expecting that there will be an increase in dispute so trying to you know make sure that obviously you want to be helpful and you know obviously a lot of charities will be able to recommend lawyers that people can go and speak to but they just you know they, they want to stay out of that process as much as they as much as they can and certainly do not want to be witnessing wills or going to meetings like that it's just it's just not a good idea it's difficult i appreciate you know that the, the you want to help, and people often are lonely, and you know, might not. There might not be anyone else around, and that's why often charities you know, have such an important role because they are, you know, they, they might be the only contact that that people have. So, so it is difficult. But as difficult as it is, I think they just need to say, look, in order to make sure that this, you know, we we can give effect to your wishes, the best thing for you to do is go go and see your own solicitor, go and get it sorted. And, you know, we'd love to know about it and we'll, you know, we'll stay in touch, et cetera, et cetera, but don't be involved in the process at all.
0: And and obviously, you know, kind of good stewardship is a part of, uh, and increasingly it's something we've been talking a lot about on the podcast with different people around stewardship and ensuring that relationships with supporters are, are done in a, on, on their terms, a, a, a donor led relationships. But I suppose part of that risk is then being too close, in, and certainly in, in the case of legacy giving, as you say, there's that risk of, of kind of uh, being too close to it and, and making sure that you are keeping a kind of professional boundary, I suppose, um, when it comes to mm. uh, and making it. A- yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And I, I think, yeah, I think you're right, though. Stewardship is hugely important. You yeah, know, the typical, um, most charities will sort of make the typical gap between someone making a will and then, you know, ultimately the legacy coming to fruition is typically seven years. It varies from charity to charity, but that's the kind of average. Yeah. um so you know, it, absolutely stewardship is important. And, you know, it, it is it is a competitive marketplace now. Um, you know, there are lots of charities who are who are asking for legacies. And uh, the, the one trend that I think we have seen is that the charities are more, you know, I think becoming less afraid of just asking directly for legacies. Mm-hmm. So absolutely stewardship is hugely important but how you as doing it in the right way is 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 important but I think I think provided you do it in a way that it's not being done conditionally you're not doing it because they've left you a gift sure. you're doing it because you know it's so it's just trying to sort of be sensible about it and consistency I suppose is important as well so you know if you're sending out something to your donor base then you know send it to everybody mm-hmm. you know don't just sort of target particular people so it's I uh, Look, I, I haven't seen from my experience cases where stewardship has kind of been twisted and used to get used to try and interfere with a legacy involvement in the will making process itself is is another thing and um, I have seen a couple of cases of that but it, it's very rare mm. stewardship I think I don't I wouldn't worry I wouldn't I don't think charities need to worry particularly about stewardship I think you know I think I think they'll be fine mm.
0: As you say, there are these existing uh, services that charities can take advantage of in terms of promoting free will writing services to to their their supporters and things like that. Do you see a lot of uh, people coming to you who have been directed by charities or is it more of a case of people coming to you and then in the conversations with, with you and your colleagues, they're then kind of talking about uh, leaving gifts, to the causes they support. What is there, Is there kind of a split there of one over the other? Um,
1: I think it depends. You know, obviously, we do. You know, do charities do suggest that that we they come and speak to us? But obviously, we're aware as well of you know that they might send a donor to us, but actually, it might not be in the charities. It might be. It might not be in anyone's interest for us, us to actually then act for that client if we already act for the charity. Sure, sure. So, because um, again, you know, what you don't want to do is to be in a situation where know yeah, the charity says, well, they just said they just sent us to their own solicitor. So you have just got to be slightly careful, I think, about, you know, if, if we're acting for a particular charity, I think you've just got to think about whether or not we should be we should be acting. And I think if there's any doubt, the best thing is to go and see someone completely independent, nothing to do with charity. And, you know, and then and then and then off you go, really. You know, these things, they do crop up and we've had it a few times when it's, but I think often it's the best is just to send them to someone completely independent. Legacy giving, I think um, it's becoming more sort of commonplace and there is more awareness of it. But I still think that often, that the reason people choose particular charities can be a question of just time and place, of just having seen something on the telly, seen something in a newspaper, whatever. Mm. And then because they've seen it, you know, just before they make a will, that that then prompts them to include that charity in the will. Um, I also think that the solicitor themselves can have potentially a fairly significant role in in helping potential clients choose charities. And I've certainly seen that on a number of cases where actually the the, the person who wants who wants to make the will says, "Well, I want to support a you know charity that does this." And the solicitor said, well, how about this charity or how about this other charity?
0: Right, Okay. So it's certainly
1: the the one thing that I, you know, when I'm talking to charities who are looking to kind of develop their legacy offering, I sort of say, well, actually, I think it is important to build relationships with solicitors because I think their role in the will-making transaction is often underrated. Mm. And I think actually the solicitor can often have, have a fair amount of... Um, influence in, in a good way in terms of choosing who the charity is that's going to go in that well really. Um, and, the- and obviously there are tax there are tax advantages as well in terms of leaving monies to charities. So again that's you know that's again something that, that a solicitor can talk about and might be in a position to say, well look, have you thought about leaving a proportion of your estate to charity? <laughs>
0: So it sounds like there, there could be quite a lot of potential in terms of uh, legacy giving and the growth of legacy giving for charities. I wonder if there is a hesitancy in charities to dedicate resources, either because they're focusing on short term fundraising targets and goals, or perhaps don't understand the nuances of asking supporters to leave a gift in their will. What, from your experience, what can charities do to make the most of legacy giving and as you said, you, you work with charities of large and small sizes. So based on any kind of budget and resource, what, what are the types of things that charities could be doing?
1: Well, I think, as you say, um, investing in legacies, it, it, it's a long-term investment. You know, it's unlikely to, to yield results for, for many years. As I said, you know, the, the typical period is is, is still seven, seven plus years. So it does require um, that investment and it does it, as you say, it requires an investment of and, and without that expectation of immediate return. But, you know, ultimately the returns are there, and the returns are you know are very are very significant. You know, the amounts of you know the typical you know a lot of charities will sort of give figures about typical legacies, and you know they're there the sorts of sums of money that if if someone walked in the door and just wrote you a check for that amount of money, you know it would be kind of red carpet time. So I, I think it you know I think it is. know is something to invest in for the future um and i also think that the return on investment is is very is very good compared to a lot of other fundraising methods Mm. so so i think i I think you're right i think it is a it is definitely an area where there's huge potential for growth in terms of how to do it you know it it is very different often it sits within it might sit within a fundraising type function it might sometimes legacy sit within a finance function and i think the one thing that i think I've seen kind of universally work well is just those kind of bringing it to life really in terms of legacies you know it's all very well talking about legacies in the abstracts and saying well look we get x amount of money per year from you know however many legatees but I think actually a lot of most charities have a really great story around legacies whether that's because they were founded as a result of a legacy or because they've done something a big project as a result of the legacy or just that they've been left a legacy by someone who's got a really interesting history and a really interesting connection to the charity so i the thing that i've seen that was you know trying to understand those connections and really talk about legacies in a sort of positive way Mm. and you know the impact that they have on the charities and talk about the person you know the actual people who leave the money under the will i think that's really important and i think you know, and I think that people understand legacies, they understand that it's not just about asking for money, and I think certainly, you know, I've seen, you know, fundraising teams it, it, it's not, it's not an, it's an uncomfortable topic, Yeah. people talking about death and ringing donors and saying well have you thought that was going to happen when he dies It's not, you know, it's not an easy yes. conversation, so I, so I think, you know, it is difficult, but I think, I think firstly people are more willing, I think particularly certainly people of a slightly older generation are more willing to talk about it than you might expect.
0: Well, because I suppose they're, they're thinking, and I mean, the fact that they're, they're even considering making a will or, or revising their will is they are thinking about the end of their life and, prob- and I suppose there's there's those kind of thoughts around making sure that you're, you know, you're setting up for your, your children or your grandchildren yeah. and all those types of things. Exactly.
1: exactly. And I think, again, a lot of charities, certainly the bigger charities will look at things like, you know, at what point in people's lives people typically make a will in their favour mm. And, you know, it, it's those sorts of key moments, like when people retire or when there's a big change, you know, when they're, perhaps when their partner dies, then often that's the kind of, that can be a trigger mm. for these sorts of things. So I think, you know, I think there's, you know, I, I've seen cases before where people kind of change their wills every week. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, it's just, it, it's the only, you know, it's kind of the only thing, you know, it's, it's on their mind. Take- yeah. <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> like, it's just like, well, you know, my, you know, I didn't get a I didn't get a box of chocolates from my son this weekend, so he's out of the will, and <laughs> right. you know. But the, the, the next weekend he's back in. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think um, I think people are more willing to talk about it than than you might think. Um, and I think having those sort of open conversations and talking about the positive bits of a legacy and kind of showing what impact a legacy can have on your charity, mm. I think is you know is is great. And there's there's so so many fantastic stories out there in terms of legacies and the impact they have on charities. So. Um, you know, and they're, they're really great and they really, you know, they really encourage people to think about your charity in a positive way in terms of legacy. We've,
0: we've spoken before on the podcast about the unprecedented handover of wealth. That, that is uh, on its way from baby boomers over the next two decades to the next generation and what this could mean for legacy giving to charities and indeed the work of charities over the next two decades. How do you see legacy giving evolving and, and likely to develop over the next uh, decade or so? And what can charities do to improve the effectiveness of legacy giving?
1: So I think, I think, as you say, I think um, there is this huge transfer of wealth between the generations and you know, that presents a big opportunity also for charities in terms of legacies. I think what the statistics show is that over the last few years, the the, the sort of total pot in terms of legacies has gone up. And I have no doubt that that will continue to rise. You know, know, there'll be those sort of short term dips in terms of the economy, etc. But, you know, broadly speaking, the total amount that people are leaving the wheels is going up. What is, however, changing is that the typical value of a gift is coming down, but that's because it's more charities are getting legacies than before. So, I so you know, and if you look at the, the there was particular, there are some sectors where actually they're really growing in terms of legacies, and, and particularly I mentioned universities earlier, and that, that's certainly one of them. So, I think that's an, it, it, you know, this isn't this is no longer the preserve of you know cancer research and those very big charities, you know, this this is legacies are being thought about across the, the whole charity sector and you know and the, and the number you know, and if you look at the numbers the number of most most wills don't just include one gift to charity they include a number that include you know five, 10, 15, whatever so I think there's I think there's there's going to be more gifts to charities perhaps smaller in amount but I think there will be more charities who will be included within wills I think ultimately and it, it seems bad to talk about it in these says, but it, it, it is becoming a more competitive marketplace, really. As I think, you know, there are lots of those the very big charities who are putting significant resources around legacies and advertising for legacies. And inevitably, that makes it that bit harder mm-hmm. for the smaller charities. But, you know, I think that the one thing that the pandemic has shown is that people still want to give money to charities. You know and certainly the trends that i've seen over the last few years is that you know because obviously people are living longer than actually you know the, the point at which your, for example your parents might die actually by that point in your life typically you're actually pretty well set up yeah you might in your you might you might be retiring yourself when you're certainly at the peak of your career mm. so actually mm. you know there's less there's always exceptions but you know there is less expectation on necessarily passing wealth down the family and i think therefore that presents opportunities for charities because you know ultimately people want to do you know people people think well my family are all very well you know they're, they're all well looked after you know they've benefited during my lifetime and um, i don't want them to be kind of reliant on inherited wealth and um, so those sorts of trends i think we will see more and i think there is that sort of more kind of altruistic approach that philanthropic approach to to giving and i think certainly you know covid i think will have Accentuate that, and I think certainly the healthcare charities in particular, I think will will benefit as a result of that kind of national kind of empathy, really, and that kind of you know people trying to do good and, and do the right thing and, and kind of benefit society. I think so. I think I think the the prospect for legacies is good, but it's it. I think it is going to become a more competitive marketplace with more and more charities competing competing for legacies. But that said, it is it is going to be an ever increasing pot. So, um, you know, the, the, the pot is getting bigger, um, but just more people are going to share it, I think.
0: Andrew Wilkinson, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. No problem at all. Thanks very much, Sam. Good chat. So there you go, dear listener. A big thank you to Andrew Wilkinson for sharing his time and expertise with us for this episode. Death is an understandably emotionally charged topic and given that the end of someone's life can bring out such disparate emotions in those that love or love them, it makes sense that sometimes there are conflicts between those left behind and the will of the deceased. After all, we humans often change our minds and are not always clear in how we feel about things or people and shy away from conflict and difficult conversations. Throw into this a pandemic, Diseases which rob us of our faculties and the difficult times that we all live in and conflict seems inevitable. Charities don't have a role in resolving these conflicts ahead of time. In fact, as Andrew says, they're best to keep a professional distance from their supporters to ensure that there is a reduced risk of leading or being perceived to be leading supporters into making decisions they might otherwise not have made. As we have discussed many times before, charities must focus on delivering for their supporters by providing a supporter-orientated approach. This comprises how supporters are contacted, what is said to supporters, what is given as well as what is asked. Effective legacy giving is just another example of this. If you are maintaining a quality service for your supporters while they are alive, ensuring that they know how their donations Or volunteering or whatever they do to keep connected with your charity that they know how this is making a difference you will continue to be supported by that person charities need to focus on reaffirmation of purpose not just as part of value days or internal training for staff but for supporters as well the charities we support as supporters are to a lesser or greater extent depending on the depth of the relationship part of who we are and how we define our very existence so when we think about death and making a will it makes sense that we take a moment to think about what has been good in our lives our families maybe our friends and maybe the causes that have made us feel good for doing good so thank you dear listener for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksumit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.com dot org. UK. you can also get in touch with us through the website we'd love to hear from you as well your feedback on this episode or other episodes or if you'd like to get in touch with an idea for an episode or a guest including yourself forrester fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now that's it for me keep on doing what you can take care cheerio bye-bye